Listen up, get ready, I'm not gonna take no more. There's a revolution, a revelation going on in my soul. Buckle up, get ready, we're not gonna sit. Hello, all you citizens of the world. It's time for another edition of Live from the Heartland. And I'm Michael James here in Chicago. And this will be number 152 since the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, we are recording it for the week of May 13th. And we're doing it on Wednesday, May 10th. On the good front, I was in New York City and in Connecticut up at the Mohegan Sun. I got to see a lot of volleyball. Uh, was hanging out with my son, my son-in-law, a uh, bunch of other family. And I got to see my sister, who I haven't seen in a long, long time. Uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun. And it's good to get out of town because it's always really good coming back. A couple of things to take note of here in Chicago, water officials are again missing targets for replacing toxic lead water lines connecting to more than 400,000 city homes. Uh, this matters because <clears throat> pipes can leach brain damaging lead into drinking water. So that's just something to be aware of and to always encourage our elected officials to make moves on it. Monday is inauguration day here in Chicago. Uh, as some of you know, I'm sure many of you know, we have a new city council coming in, a lot more progressives, and we have a new mayor. We're looking forward to Brandon Johnson and the city council and what good they can bring. On the not so good front, uh, a number of people, eight, maybe more, were killed at a bus stop by an SUV in Brownsville, Texas. They were uh, at a bus stop near a migrant shelter. Uh, this is pretty tragic, but it also follows another tragedy in Texas where the shooter killed eight people in a suburb outside of Dallas, and he had a patch on himself. I'm not sure if it was sewed on, if it was tattooed. It's RWDS, which means Right Wing Death Squad. This thing is going on. On the far right, we noted that the Proud Boys were convicted of seditious conspiracy, including uh, Enrique Tario. But if you weren't watching real closely, you may not have heard that Tario and as many as eight other Proud Boys were secret FBI informants helping law enforcement to target not right-wing groups, you guessed it, Black Lives Matters, protesters, and other left-wing activists. On the good news front, uh, I came upon uh, Peter Schulte's Good News for Humankind. Good News for Humankind. And uh, the other name of that is that he's involved with is Spark of Genius. He's out of Bellingham, Washington. And some of the things he includes in his newsletter were Brazil's President Lula recognizes six indigenous lands. New York passes its first, the U.S.'s first statewide ban on gas in new buildings. Uh, Sweden is to build the world's first permanent e-road by 2035. You can not only uh, drive your car, but you're going to get it charged up while you're riding. Uh, Japan has approved its first abortion pill. Mexico approves mining reforms to protect environment and indigenous people. And I could go on, but uh, Washington state becomes the 10th U.S. state to ban assault weapons sales. Okay, that's uh, take note of that. That once again, that's good news for humankind or Spark of Genius, and you will find it. It's actually read.sparkofgenius.org. 
All right. Uh, in elections across the pond over in England, uh, you know, the Conservative Party has been in power for 14 years, but they just suffered sweeping losses in the local elections. It was the biggest test of the governing party's popularity before a general election likely to be held in 2024. It uh, left Prime Minister Sunak wounded, fracturing the pro-Brexit coalition assembled by his predecessor, Boris Johnson, etc. On the sports front, don't talk a lot of hockey here, but the news is that the Blackhawks here in Chicago uh, won the draft lottery on this past Monday, and they picked Connor Bedard, who's out of Canada. And right after they picked him, the Blackhawks said that they sold $2.5 million worth of ticket plans for next season. This kid ought to be pretty hot. And also on the sports front, talking soccer, over the Dutch police have arrested 154 soccer fans who had been chanting anti-Semitic slogans on their way to a match against a team that's rooted in what used to be uh, a predominantly Jewish enclave. Um, and uh, this is uh, something that's been going on in soccer with a lot of racist and anti-Semitic kind of canning. So hopefully that will deter some of that. Uh, I'm not sure it'll educate them, but we'll see. Um, in Congress here in the United States, there is no deal on the debt limit yet. And that guy known as Representative Santos has been indicted on federal conspiracy charges. And I'm wondering where that will lead. Does, it, does someone get appointed or will there be a new election opening up some possibilities for the Democrats? And the previous president was found guilty in a civil trial in New York and ordered to pay Five million smackaroos. We'll see how that goes. I want to call your attention to the show. Last week, we had the lawyer, Alan Mills, from the Uptown People's Law Center talking about prisons in Illinois. And we had Floyd Webb, a filmmaker, talking about a new film he's working on about the children in Japan of U.S. servicemen who weren't allowed to come to the U.S. You can get that at youtube.com slash heartlandmedia. And as you all know, uh, we are on not only WLUW.org and 88.7 on Saturdays, but also now on Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. And we're on Can TV, 9 o'clock at night, Channel 21 on Thursday nights. I want to mention that in the world of track and field, Tori Bowie, a sprinter, a Olympic medalist, has passed at 32 in Mississippi. And Newton Minow, who was the chairman of the Federal Communications Commission in the 60s, he decried the state of American television as a vast wasteland. He died at age 97. He was a giant in Chicago media, played a lot of role in uh, uh, Illinois politics. And in an NPR interview, he said he embraced his legacy and that his children had jokingly already picked out his epitaph, and that is on to a vaster wasteland. Okay, on that note, we're going to get ready for the rest of the show. We've got Alderwoman Maria Haddon coming on. I think we're going to focus on migrants coming to Chicago. And we have some old friends, musicians Dave Katzman and Amy Lowe coming on. They're going to sing a few tunes and tell us about uh, what's going on a little bit over in Edgewater and some of their events coming up. 
Stay tuned here on the left end of your dial. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Live from the Heartland or watching it for the week of May 13th. Welcome back, all you listeners and viewers, for Live from the Heartland for the week of May 13th. And I'm really honored now to bring on uh, my alderwoman, the, the alderwoman from the wonderful fighting uh, 49th Ward, Maria Haddon. Good morning to you, Alderman Haddon. 
Good morning, Michael. It's great to I know you. Show. I know you've been really busy. I actually, uh, you know, have been following the migrants coming to Chicago, and my first thought was, well, this will be a challenge, also an opportunity. We've always been a welcoming city, a sanctuary city. Uh, we're the home of Jane Addams. Many immigrants have come through here. Um, and uh, we have a situation, though, where it is also apparent that there might be some real challenges and difficulties. So we both of us know that uh, Title 42, which allowed uh, the Border Patrol and immigration to return people to Mexico, is over today. There's a mass of people moving toward the United States wanting to come in. How about filling us in on what's going on here in Chicago? Sure. Um, so um, lots of folks are probably familiar with last fall, kind of the end of last August. Um, Governor Abbott from Texas um, began a practice of uh, busing uh, asylum seekers and other migrants arriving at the southern border to cities that were led by Democratic mayors. <laughs> so Chicago is one of those cities. So last fall, um, we were getting multiple buses a day of people, um, you know, hundreds of folks at a time who um, were put on buses at the southern border or in Texas cities who were uh, promised a lot of things, jobs, housing, all kinds of stuff, um, and sent to cities like Chicago, Denver, D.C., and New York. And um, it, was, it was a struggle for the city of Chicago, um, who has not had to receive um, um, migrants en masse like that, right? Like we've had refugee resettlement. We've had, uh, as you mentioned, people immigrate uh, and end up in Chicago all the time, right? Uh, but when we look at kind of large groups of people at once, most of the times that's through refugee resettlement, which is managed by the federal government. So the city of Chicago doesn't really have experience doing this. So it was a lot to stand up uh, a shelter system, to set up uh, programs, to contract with nonprofits, to um, create ways to be able to receive people, uh, give them a dry, safe place to stay, um, he review healthcare, right? Um, make sure people were in, in good health conditions because in Texas, a lot of people they were put on these buses um, some after you know months of travel, um, maybe another more several more weeks of waiting at the border, um, with with no services, no care, a lot of children, um, uh, you know some infants, and so uh, Chicago has done our best uh, to receive people to take care of them and to help them on their way as they start their legal pathway to uh, citizenship, and um, now. Uh, the buses stopped last end of last fall, but we are looking at them beginning again. So Governor Abbott uh, uh, announced he was going to start again last week. We have received at least one bus, and we're looking at um, uh, the beginning of a surge that we've already been seeing over the last couple of weeks as families with children, single individuals um, are arriving about 80 to 100 people a day. We've seen over the last two or three weeks, and um, we still have people that came in the fall. So the city's been pretty inundated, our systems are, um, with the number of asylum seekers and migrants that are here and uh, are finding um, we're not getting the funding support that we have asked for from the federal government. 
and we're working out things with our state partners who the state did a lot in the fall and they haven't been um, operating in the same way um, since January of this year. So we're looking to find ways to work with the state, other local partners um, to kind of better manage the situation so that we don't have to have, I think right now we've got like over 400 migrants sleeping on the floors of police stations, right? Um, so um, things are not going well. And I'm really hopeful that with better coordination, uh, moving into the next mayoral administration, we're going to see an improvement and a different approach. The uh, New York Times reported yesterday, and you're quoted in there, and there's some nice pictures of our uh, Leon Beach and of Lake Michigan from up here in the 49th. Uh, but an article by uh, Julie Bosman basically said, open arm Chicago feels the strains of a migrant influx. And uh, I'm, uh, you know, I saw that on, in South Shore there was a meeting and uh, the, the city had planned to use an abandoned school uh, and to house people there. And there was really a pretty reactionary response, a negative response, not in our backyard, a NIMBY kind of thing. Um, that was that was challenging for me, and it was sort of sad to hear South Shore. That's where my dad grew up, <laughs> and um, I'm just wondering what your take is on that, and how mixed is the response? I mean, we have in the uh, in Pilsen, uh, Brian Setcho, I think, and people actually built a shelter or made a shelter so that people could be taken out of the police uh, department. What's what's your sense of going on with people's response, negative and positive? I, I think um, the response is complex and it's impossible to, I think, understand it without understanding Chicago. So here in the 49th Ward, the response has been um, positive and supportive. I think around the city, the response has been positive and supportive because on a human to human level, um, Chicagoans are generous people, right? Uh, people are letting folks stay in their homes, people they're trying to support folks. I think a lot of residents, north, south, east, west, and Chicago can resonate and empathize with the situation of someone who's traveled thousands of miles for uh, you know better future for themselves or their family. Um, where we get into trouble is what the response has been from the city, right? Um, and also, of course, that this is uh, these are people being used as pawns in a national political battle, right? Um, so it doesn't feel good to me as a Chicagoan or as an Illinoisan to know that Texas is doing a thing to us, right? That's one level of, I don't know anybody that's happy about that. Most people find it horrific. And then you get down to the local level. And if you've got neighborhoods, um, especially a lot of communities, a lot of black communities in Chicago and neighborhoods that have been um, ignored for decades, like in communities that um, are still resource starved. And, um, you know, as we look at, uh, as you mentioned, the example of in, in both cases, both in uh, Woodlawn and in South Shore, these are schools that were closed. So, right, as we think about this, like if folks aren't from Chicago or haven't lived here very long, these were schools that were closed. So communities that had like community centers and schools taken away from them, left abandoned for years. And, and then 
because of the urgent nature of the situation. And in some cases, um, I think because of mistakes made by the current administration, um, they didn't communicate with people. They didn't bring community to the table to say, hey, we need your help and we need to do this. So what, what you hear from some residents who are really upset about the opening of these emergency shelters is uh, you ignored us for decades, you took our school, um, uh, but now you have money all of a sudden to invest a couple million in a building in our neighborhood that's been vacant for years for some other group of people that just arrived. Um, and that hurts, right? That hurts and that's really difficult to reconcile. And at the same time, um, we know as a city, it's the right thing to do. So um, this is another experience. We just went through this with COVID where Chicago is being forced to confront our inequities, where we're being forced to confront a lot of our past harm um, and continued harm to communities um, like the black community in Chicago, right? Like the low income communities in Chicago. And um, uh, I like the way you talked about it as an opportunity. I think um, we're seeing some, uh, some comments from kind of Mayor-elect Johnson that he sees this the same way, right? We've got a shelter crisis. So what we need to be doing is using this to invest in our broader shelter system this is going to shelter Chicagoans who are here in need of shelter, and we could be sheltering the new arrivals because Chicago is a welcoming city. Uh, yeah, it is an opportunity. It's a challenge and an opportunity. Um, I noticed that there was going to be a um, city council committee on budget and government operations in this past Tuesday, a couple of days ago, mm -hmm. <clears throat> and they were uh, voting whether to approve $50 million for a shortfall. I'm wondering how that went and did it happen? And you did mention that the state was helpful until the first of the year. The feds seem to be a little bit behind the time on this, not really making it, you know, Biden just said it's gonna be messy for a while, but uh, that wasn't my favorite response from a guy that we, you know, we root for some of the time. Yeah, um, I'll say uh, same. So uh, in, in fall, in the first wave um, of folks from Texas, um, the state took families with children and the city um, handled single adults and um, imperfect systems, but worked pretty well. Um, the state had resettlement plans for the families um, that they sheltered in hotels, mainly suburban hotels. And I believe they housed their last like kind of three families by the end of April. They were able to do that, though, because they stopped taking people in December. So if you think about, um, you know, kind of a flow of people and a bandwidth for um, government, um, the state was able to manage their bandwidth and then cut off the influx. And the city then had to start taking a lot more people. So that's where in January is when we started seeing people have to stay in police station lobbies um, because they're warming centers. So I think that's an important thing for people to know. Um, we have one 24-7 warming center in the city. Um, a central warming center um, for folks who are unsheltered and need a place to stay. Um, it is a, just a warming center. There aren't beds. Um, that was quickly, right, tapped out. And so the other place that we use as a city as warming centers um, are hospital emergency rooms and uh, police stations. Now, because of the influx of asylum seekers that were arriving, um, the hospitals quickly uh, were like, hey, our emergency rooms are full. 
already, we, we can't have folks who might not be sick, right, or who might not have healthcare needs coming here. So police stations became the only place. Um, the city's currently working to set up like uh, additional facilities and has been scrambling for a couple of weeks to do that. Um, but the state has, um, I think we requested like 54 million from the state in, in January. Um, they gave us 20. I think they've approved another 10 million. Um, both the state and the city applied for federal dollars and this first wave of FEMA money that was offered and combined, right? The state of Illinois and the city of Chicago combined got about $7 million. Now the city's request was $67 million because what people need to know is like, I think between January to this month, it's costing us between 10 and 20 million a month, like 10 to $20 million a month for the staffing and the space and the food and the supplies um, for sheltering people. So the federal government, this was a round of funds from FEMA. Um, apparently most of it has gone to the Southern border cities, um, which certainly are in need of it as well. And doesn't really account for um, cities like New York or Chicago or DC or Denver. Um, as we think about, yes, there's a need in Texas cities, but if Texas is sending all their people to us, right, um, how does that work? So there's supposed to be a second round of federal funds, um, but I'll say I, I too am uh, not pleased with the federal response, especially since um, this isn't a surprise. Yeah, I'm in touch with people in El Paso a lot. I go down there for this basketball in the barrio, and we've had not only Beto O'Rourke, but uh, Steve Yellen from Athletes United for Peace on talking about the border and actually talking with some migrants who just crossed over. And I've been hearing from them what their situation is. It's pretty rough down there. Uh, but bringing it back to our neighborhood, where we have people at Leon Beach, are there people, uh, migrants staying in other places in the 49th Ward? And I'm thinking of what we could even do, and maybe you could share some of what people can do to help, not only here, but on a broader level. Um, and I started thinking about the uh, St. Ignatius and the Waldorf School had moved out, and maybe they should take over that school and that church, and we could uh, welcome a whole lot more people in the 49th. I, um, uh, that space belongs to the Archdiocese, and we reached out to them about that space last fall uh -huh. as well. Uh -huh. they, haven't, they haven't seen fit to, uh, to make that space available for folks. Because um, I'm with you, it's it's an empty space. Um, it was most recently used as a school about four or five years ago. Yeah. Um, it's got a large gymnasium and, and the types of spaces that we're looking for in the city. Um, it um, certainly wouldn't displace any programming, which is what we're having to do with some of our parks, right? Right, that's um, a some, real issue too. Mm -hmm. with, that's with a real issue. Coming Summer's coming, like we need those park districts. We need those park programs. Um, for our kids. So um, I'm with you, uh, Michael, on the St. Ignatius spot and the Waldorf School. Um, I will say that um, Leon Beach Park Field House um, is um, housing uh, about 120 people. Wow, um, it's not right? a very big spot either. It's not. Um, it's not a very big spot. So families with children, um, the High Ridge Y, though not in the 49th Ward, right, kind of still in our, our neck of the woods. So that's been a shelter since last fall. Oh, it was a shelter for single men and single women, and has been converted into a shelter for families with children. 
Um, and then of course the 24th district police station um, is, uh, I think we had 35 people there yesterday. And uh, for folks who aren't familiar, it's very, these are folks staying in the lobby. This is a very small lobby and they're staying there 24 seven. So they might go out and about during the day. We do have um, some local efforts from both just community members who've been, you know, bringing food and supplies. Um, my office is coordinating um, with United Church of Rogers Park, Northside Community Resources, and the Family Empowerment Center on Devon, um, along with the Chicago Street Medics, actually, to provide health screens. Um, and Tapestry 360, uh, formerly Heartland Health, is helping folks with follow-up doctor's appointments. We are kind of coordinating efforts to give people a space to go during the day to be able to leave the police station, for the kids to get outside, for folks to have more comfortable accommodations, um, and to give some space for the police to be able to kind of clean and sanitize the lobby in the space and for regular business to happen, right? So with so many people in the lobby, it's difficult for constituents to come in and kind of make reports or for regular business to happen. And so um, it's really a crisis um, in kind of our public facilities. And, uh, but something that we're managing to decompress a bit here in our area. And I, you know, really want to lift up, you mentioned Alderman Byron Sigcho Lopez. Um, you've got a lot of older people um, around the city and a lot of community members um, who've organized themselves. Apparently there's a very robust WhatsApp group of just individuals around the city who are doing mutual aid efforts. Um, so people are really stepping up. Um, to help, especially while there's a lot of gaps in what government is doing. Well, this is good, and uh, we could probably keep talking, but I know you have a lot on your plate, and uh, I want to thank you for coming on, and uh, usually you come on and we talk about the ward and what's going on. We did a little of that today, but this is a, a bigger issue. It's a national issue. It's a, it's a world issue, really. I mean, people are in motion all across the globe. Um, and uh, you get a you won the reelection by seventy three percent. Congratulations! We have a new mayor and a new city council coming in on Monday the fifteenth. And um, you want to give us a little uh, as we fade out here. You want to just give us a little uh, wrap on how you look at the new city council and the new mayor and what that uh, presents to us. Sure, um, I'm excited going into my second term and to have so many fantastic colleagues in city council and certainly with our incoming Mayor Brandon Johnson. Um, I look forward to serving as chair of the Committee on Environment and Energy. Oh, and great, I, think, great. Uh, I think we're I think we're going to be able to really advance um, a progressive agenda for the city that centers um, our, our residents, right, and the people of Chicago. Well, thank you, Alderwoman Maria Haddon. You're doing a great job. We're really, uh, we're a big fan of yours. And uh, you can lean on me and probably a lot of others if you need more help in any way. Don't hesitate. And are you still lifting weights? Absolutely. Right on. Absolutely. Okay, good. And everyone stay tuned. We'll be right back with more live from the heartland here for the week of May 13th. Don't go anywhere else. Stay tuned here on the left end of your dial.
We're back. We're back with more live from the heartland for the week of May 13th. I'm Michael James, and I'm really honored to have a couple of old friends uh, who performed at the Heartland Cafe and were guests on this show uh, more than one time over many years. The one and onlys, Amy Lowe and Dave Katzman. Good morning, Hi, everybody. Good afternoon, whatever time it is to you two. How are you? Really good. Excellent. Yes. Well, thanks for coming on. You know, I've been talking uh, a lot and thinking about it, bringing people who have been on the show before, who did music for us, um, and to check in on how they've been doing since COVID, what's been up. So you're in that group. So how are you doing and what's been going on? Well, we're doing really well. Um, surprisingly, I was able to shift to all online. I'm a teaching artist, so the organization Ravinia actually brought us all to all online, which was amazing. I wasn't sure if it was gonna work, but it worked out really well. And uh, now we're back performing again. So we made it through, which was, was really wonderful. COVID you was... two always perform together or do you have solo no. careers? We both have solo careers, but we met. And once we met, we started to perform together. And we've kind of merged our solo careers. Uh, I back Amy, and Amy actually has joined uh, my blues big band, Chicago Blues Super Session, and uh, 
it uh, it's nice to uh, live with uh, your fellow musician and create with her. It's wonderful. Oh, so you are a couple. We well, we've been together twenty four years uh, tomorrow. That's, that, that's a feat. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, uh, without further ado, as I've heard people say in the past, why don't you do us a tune and then we'll do a little bit more talking. Sounds great. Sure. This is an original tune. It's called Dancing Shoes. One, two, three, four. Chevrolet going to see a modern Monet. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> well, let's tell me a little bit about each of your uh, own biography. Give me a little biography on you, Dave, and on you, Amy, where you came from, grew up, how you got into music, that kind of thing. Okay, well, um, I guess I'll start. Um, I'm a son of Chicago, and uh, I heard my first live music on Maxwell Street when I was about four years old. My uh, great uncle used to sell socks on Maxwell. <laughs> And uh, well, my dad and my uncles were all speaking Yiddish. I'd wander off and hear Hound Dog Taylor and Big John Rencher and uh, uh, you know all, Nighthawk and all those guys. And, uh, and I just thought that was 
what live music was. It was blues. And then I got a little older and heard a little rock and roll and heard folk music and uh, traditional music and things like that. And uh, expanded <laughs> quite a bit. Uh, and I just, uh, my parents put a guitar in my hands when I was nine and it hasn't stopped since. They just, uh, I guess I used to ask my mom to sing me to sleep instead of uh, tell me stories. So uh, I've been musical all my life. And uh, uh, I've, I toured for 17 years as a technician and a sound man and a road manager for many, many artists from Bob Marley to uh, Gladys Knight to Mel Tillis. Uh, worked with a lot of local bands. Um, was at the beginning of reggae here in Chicago. Um, first time uh, the Itals was were at the Quiet Night and then the first time Bob Marley was there back then. And uh, I had chance to work with Marley and Tosh and. Uh, uh, quite a lot of the guys, Freddie McGregory and Dennis uh, Brown and all the guys um, got out of that. I've always been involved in the blues, but uh, I was part of the Chicago Fest uh, amazing thing every year. I was production manager on that. I was, I've been in Chicago all my life doing music, all kinds. So that's basically it. <laughs> wow, that's some good stuff. How about you, Amy? Well, I think the first time I saw Dave Katzman was at the Chicago Fest when I was performing, but... Um, I've been singing since I was a little girl and uh, making up songs and that's how I, I made it through and I picked up the guitar when I was around 12 years old and decided to pursue this uh, after college. And so I've been writing songs and performing most of my life actually. And when I met Dave, he brought me into the blues. So I've continued, I've written all kinds of shows as well. I do touring programs. Um, I wrote a show about the Great Chicago Fire of 1871 that won all kinds of awards. Surprised me. Um, for the and we perform at the Chicago History Museum. We perform in theaters, and it's a and we also go to schools and libraries. And I also do a show like that on immigration, and um, a show like that uh, about the building of the Transcontinental Railroad. And then another show I wrote called Estevanico, who was the first. Uh, non-Native American pre-Coronado uh, to enter the Southwest. And I've been writing songs for a long, long time. And- uh, You gave me a lot of things I gotta check out. <laughs> um, where did you grow up, here in Chicago? I grew up outside of Chicago in the South Suburbs, home with Flossmore, and traveled and lived in all kinds of different places, uh, and then came back to Chicago to pursue my music career. Never thought I'd do that, but I have. And I'm I'm happy to still be working. How would people find out more of the things that you've done? How would they get to you got a website? I do have a website. It's www.amylowe.org. And okay, and also I'm with the Chicago Blues Super Session. So that's a big deal. So let me tell you a little bit, if I could, about the Super Session. It's a uh, old school blues review we do in the style of like um, what T-Bone Walker and B.B. King and Bobby Blue Bland used to do. They'd tour together, use the same rhythm section and rotate the front person. So have a really full show. And the super session is um, Billy Flynn, who is a Grammy award-winning guitar player, uh, is back to everybody. He was in the Fabulous Thunderbirds, things like that. Bob Strozier, who is our senior elder, uh, he was, uh, Otis Rushes and Freddie King's bass player back in the day in the 60s. Then we have Kenny Smith, who was uh, is uh, 
Willie Big Eyes Smith's son. Willie was Muddy's drummer, so Kenny was raised at the uh, Holland Wolf and Muddy Waters' feet. Uh, we have. Um, uh, who else is in the band? Amy's in the band. <laughs> uh, Melvin John Smith. Khaki. John Khaki played with Otis Rush and Buddy Guy and everybody. And Melvin Smith was with Coco Taylor and um, harmonica players. Uh, yeah, we have Omar uh, Coleman, who's a great Delmark artist. We have Oscar Wilson, who's a singer on Alligator. It's just a big blues review, but we have a very special night coming up during Blues Fest at Reggie's. We're being joined by Barry Goldberg. Now, oh, nice. Yeah, Barry, for people who don't know who Barry was, he was the uh, keyboard player for the Paul Butterfield band, and he also started Electric Flag with Michael Bloomfield, and he yeah. is just excited to be Back playing with I us. knew about musicians. There well, you go. Now, well, you should no come down June 9th at uh, Reggie's. After the fest is over, we're doing kind of the late party. So it's going to be. Well, a you've got night. a couple other events coming up that we're going to uh, yeah. talk about briefly. But first, do another song, and then we'll give people uh, not only how to get a hold of you, what Great. your dates are, that kind of thing. So I think we're going to do a Louis Jordan song, and this song was actually written way before we had cell phones. When you like somebody, you gave them your telephone number, and then you had to sit by the wall where the telephone was attached to and wait for the call. It's called Buzz Me. Much to me, and when I get my 
till 2050, till 2060, till 2093. That's a good one. Well, I tell you, I, mean, I wanted to sing. I thought I'd mess it up, though. If I, <laughs> I but that one gets you going. Well, you uh, two have a lot coming up. Uh, we've talked a little bit about the uh, Chicago Blues Fest. Uh, you've got something on Mother's Day, which will be tomorrow from when the show is aired and streamed on WLUW. Um, those people later on in the week won't know about it, but... Um, you know, because we're broadcast, we're on uh, Can TV, and we're rebroadcast later in the week. How about telling us about your Mother's Day event and some of the things going on in Edgewater in your neighborhood? Because well, uh, take... it's right next to where we are. You got a new woman, and uh, we always like to know what's happening over in Edgewater. Mm. Well, we love supporting our neighborhood, and that's exactly what we're doing. So I'm going to hand it over to Dave to tell us about the Edgewater Mexican Cafe. Well, yeah, um, our neighborhood took quite a beating during COVID and uh, quite a few really good restaurants and businesses closed. But one that stayed was the Edgewater Mexican Cafe. And uh, the folks that own it are Ruben and Brian and managed by a guy named Roberto. They're just the nicest people and they have a wonderful staff, a really good staff. And the food is, I've eaten Mexican food all over the world, including Mexico and uh quite a lot in Mexico. And um, it's just really high grade quality, real food. And um, yeah, their, their tamales are to die for. <laughs> but um, uh, I haven't had my breakfast yet. <laughs> well, you got to come over here. Anyways, uh, they stayed and um, they're friends of ours and we've been eating there for years. And uh, Ruben and I were just talking and I said, well, how about we bring some music in to bring some people in? And he really liked the idea. And we've been doing two gigs a month over there. And, and it is very handy for us. It's literally around the corner. It's a block and a half away. And there's no gigs that are, I, we leave like five minutes before we have to be there. We love it. We do. But uh, we also just love the people there. And the audience has been great. The uh, whole neighborhood is really coming out to support it. But um, it turns out that uh, some of the empty restaurants are going to be opening up again with different restaurants but uh there's kind of a new energy in the neighborhood and we hope we can add to it and really build and and so we're there twice a month yeah. and we're going to be there on mother's day and what's special about mother's day is we're going to be there from 5 30 to 8 p.m so it's really a nice time and mom's meals are half price so there's no cover plenty of parking in the neighborhood so please, behind the restaurant, right. Actually. So please come on down. We're going to be performing. We do two sets, sometimes a little longer. You know, it's just it's kind of loose and we love it. And um, we're there twice a month. But Mother's Day is going to be special because, of course, moms So we're going to be there on the 14th and the 26th. The address is um, 1055 West Bryn Mawr. Edgewater Mexican Cafe. I'll repeat that. 1055 West Bryn Mawr, and we're there from 5:30 to 8 this Sunday. And we've got we've been practicing some mother oh. mother songs. Oh yes, we have some new mothers mother songs. We have a little bit of country. Well, how about we do this? We're about running out of time. Okay. We know that you're going to be at the um, at the cafe on Sunday, and then in two weeks hence you'll do it again. You're going to be at the Blues Fest, and. Um, Given all that, how about doing a little riff as we go out? 
Sure. What do you want Thank to do? Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much All for right. having us, Michael. Come on there and eat one of these uh, Sundays. Well, come on Mother's Day. <laughs> try. Okay. Mother's Day is got a pressure on Mother's Day, but. That's okay. Come another time. Well, why don't we do, um, can you, can you do that? Okay. Everybody, we want to thank you for tuning in or viewing live from the Heartland for the week of May 13th. I want to thank our guests, Alder Woman Maria Haddon, musicians Dave Katzman and Amy Lowe. I want to always thank the people who make the show possible: our engineer Hal James, uh, our sometimes co-producers Katie Hogan and Tom Clark, uh, certainly Lynn Orman who does all the music booking for us, and uh, we've got a number of interesting people coming up in the not too distant future. We're going to have uh, Gordon Mantler has a new book out about the Harold Washington uh, campaigns back in the day. And uh, we also will have uh, Koya Paz from the Free Street Theater coming on and a host of other people. So we encourage you to do good in the world. The world needs all the good that you do because it needs a whole lot of good. So all power to the people over and out till next week. Are you doing the best you can? a dream awaiting I can see it in your eye it may not come easy but you know you've got a friend I'll be by your side the entire ride just let me hear you say amen are you doing doing are you doing the best you can
Tell me, are you doing? 